0: For the past several months, the Ethiopian government and opposition militias have been negotiating terms of a peace deal. The deadly civil war came to an official end in November of last year, but not before it claimed more than 600,000 lives and forced more than five million people to flee their homes.
1: Hospitals still need medicine, people still need food, they need water. So the needs remain extremely high.
0: In the wake of the violence and loss, many Ethiopians have called for accountability. From Facebook, they're saying that hate speech and calls for violence that circulated on the platform inflamed the conflict.
1: Now or never to act on uh, that platform to reconsider its uh, conduct, and especially in that of the content moderators. Even though it will not bring our happiness back, at least it will try to heal some of the damage that we're experiencing.
0: That's Abraham Amare, one of the people who filed a landmark lawsuit against Meta, Facebook's parent company, back in December. Now we're going to hear more from Abraham later in the show. But at first, we're going to talk about a recent investigation by Insider that gives some insight into how Facebook's content moderation procedures failed to stop the spread of violent posts during the war. With us now is Tekendra Parmar, the tech features editor at Business Insider, who led this investigation. Takendra, thanks for joining us here on The Takeaway.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Your investigation examined Facebook's Trusted Partner Program. Can you explain what it is and how it's supposed to work?
2: Yeah, totally. Facebook is pretty opaque about how the Trusted Partner Program is supposed to work. But what they do say publicly is that this program is key to its efforts to improve policies, enforcement processes and products to help keep users safe on their platform. What this means in practice is that Facebook works with 400 such NGOs and civil society organizations across the world who help it monitor the spread of inciting content and trends in how people are using the platform to incite violence or spread misinformation. These local experts also have a special reporting channel through which they can flag harmful content, and Facebook is reliant on their linguistic and cultural expertise to help it understand how hate speech misinformation and disinformation trends are developing.
0: So basically, because Facebook doesn't speak the language, it's relying right on these trusted partners to, to flag the problematic content for them. But help me understand how that's different from, for example, how content moderation and policy expertise works in places like the U.S. or in the EU, where presumably Facebook does speak the language.
2: Right. I mean, Facebook does have uh, content moderators in Ethiopia's main languages, but the main role of these trusted partners is to be the experts in the room who can also tell you, like, how language is developing around an issue for example with hate speech rarely is hate speech ever so transparent and you know from like go kill this person it's usually encoded language that you would need someone with the expertise in that region to explain to you how this might be inciting but i think the one thing that i want to highlight is When Facebook is accused of proliferating genocide, as it is in Ethiopia, it often promotes its relationship with these civil society organizations to signal to the press that they are in fact taking this issue seriously. But what my reporting shows, internally, they are often ignoring the advice of these very
0: experts. Okay. Why ignore the advice if these are the folks who you've brought in the room to be the experts?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think there are various ways in which we can answer that. I think on one level, Facebook's trusted partner program, at least from the partners that I have spoken to, they have gotten the impression that it is quite understaffed despite being a very essential program. But the other thing that we need to think about is hate speech, as was revealed in the Facebook Files revelations, is one of the biggest overhead costs for Meta. Mm. Um, And, you know, Meta will deny this, but I, I think this is a reasonable argument that these experts have made, is that when Meta says, you know, we have an economic incentive to moderate content because our advertisers, our primary customers do not want to be showing their advertisements around the same, you know, with child pornography or Mm -hmm. videos of war crimes or what have you. I think that is true to a certain extent. That is definitely true in the United States or Western Europe, where the platform derives the majority of its advertiser revenue. But when you look at places like Ethiopia, countries like Ethiopia or the Global South in general is referred to as rest of world. And rest of world countries make up- Wait a minute.
0: Who refers to it as rest of world?
2: The This is the accounting term that a lot of tech companies use in order to describe the global South. So it's if you ever look through their investor documents, you'll usually see a country breakdown or a continent breakdown, North America, Europe. And then you'll see this large bucket called Rest of World. And Rest of World includes places like Ethiopia, includes places like India, Sri Lanka, all of these places that you know, may not fall in the general bucket of where these companies see their primary customers or audience really being. So if you look at the revenue that Meta is generating from these places, it's just about 10% of the company's total revenue. And what that means is the economic incentives may just not be there Hmm. for Meta to be expending as much moderating content or moderating content in places like Ethiopia, as it might be in the United States.
0: So Takendra, you've given us a a good sense of sort of, you know, what the incentives or lack of incentive structure might look like for Facebook meta. Help me to understand what the job of content moderation is like for the people doing the work.
2: One of the things to remind ourselves of, this job is very hard. And it's hard because human language develops over time. And so while these platforms will want to have you believe that their AI is so sophisticated that the way that it's trained, it's going to scoop up all this hate speech and misinformation and you know the programs are going to do it, that's just simply not true. You need a human in the machine because those humans are the ones who are able to actually spot trends and advise on it. Um, Now, we've known for a while that content moderation in terms of mental health is a very difficult job. This is true for the content moderators that are working for outsourcing firms like Genpact, Accenture, or SamaSource, one of the major providers of outsourced moderators for Facebook in Africa. All of these moderators have reported some degree of post-traumatic stress after watching countless hours of graphic videos. Now imagine that you are doing this job as an NGO worker. Mm -hmm. And some of these trusted partners that I spoke to haven't even taken Facebook's money to do this job. They believe that it's their civil duty their civic duty to do do it and so they do it basically for free. Imagine these people doing this job basically for free, advising Facebook as experts and watching countless hours of their country embroiled in civil war. It has the same mental health impact that we've been seeing in the actual labor force of content moderators, where some of the trusted partners that I spoke to talked about having symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. One of them described not being able to hang out with their friends or family afterwards, just because the content was too overwhelming that they were watching every day. And it was compounded by the fact that they knew Facebook wasn't doing anything about it. Another one told me that they had to remove all the knives in their apartment because after watching so many horrific videos of people using you know, machetes to go after each other, they couldn't bear to have knives in their apartment. Those are all pretty serious symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: The trusted partners were telling you that they were being ignored. So what does that suggest to you about the kind of responsibility that Facebook has?
2: That's the overarching question behind this $1.6 billion hate speech lawsuit against Facebook in Kenya for its role in proliferating ethnic violence in Ethiopia. I think what my reporting shows is that Facebook has these levers that it can use in conflict zones like Ethiopia but it's choosing to ignore them and at least in some instances this has had deadly consequences one of the trusted partners that i spoke to said they were flagging content around the death of professor mareg amare who is the subject of this lawsuit at least a month prior to his eventual demise. This professor was eventually gunned down outside of his home. His killers were chanting the same slurs and citing the same misinformation that was on Facebook while they were assassinating him. Mm. What role Facebook has eventually as a journalist, not sure I can say, that's for the lawsuit to play out, but this is what I can say, is that the levers that Facebook had, it ignored.
0: To Kendra Parmar from Business Insider and former Takeaway intern. Thanks so much for talking this through with us, to Kendra. Thank you. We've got more on this story coming up. It's The Takeaway. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But But we do also like to get
2: into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music,
0: hockey, sex. Of bugs.
2: <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers.
0: And hopefully make you see the world anew.
2: Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know.
0: Wherever you get your podcasts. We've been discussing hate speech on Facebook during the Ethiopian Civil War. Since February, the Ethiopian government has blocked Facebook and other social media, but that doesn't mean the effect of the platform is over.
1: Its impacts still are occupying the whole atmospheric uh, condition in the city. Hello, my name is Abraham, second son of late Professor Mareg Amar Abraham.
0: Abraham Amare is working towards his PhD in peace and development studies. His father, Dr. Mareg Amare, was a prominent professor of analytical chemistry.
1: He was devoted his time and his energy to his uh, children for the betterment of us. And he had a special connection with his father. He was a civil, law-abiding person that's able to uh, compromise science and religion. He was a religious person at the same time, so he was an amazing father.
0: The professor was Tigrayan. It's an ethnic group prominent in the Tigray region, where the conflict was centered. Human rights investigators documented campaigns of ethnic cleansing against Tigrayans and atrocities perpetrated by Tigrayan militia, as many factions capitalized on years of ethnic hostilities. In late 2021, posts appeared on Facebook accusing the professor of corruption and theft and included his photograph and his address. The photos spread. Facebook users called for violence against the professor. And days later, a group of men attacked him outside his home and shot him.
1: Due to that, the incitements and calling for violence against uh, our father on those Facebook page, uh, the militias, the more uh, targets him.
0: Abraham says he reported the posts, but more than a year later, they were still up.
1: Once I have seen uh, those posters, I have just reported to Facebook to remove it, but nothing happened. I mean, it shows how the company see Africans as our concerns are nothing.
0: Abraham, his sister, and his mother have all been forced to relocate. Each of them to a different continent. Abraham is now in the United States, where he's applied for asylum and hopes to restart his scholarly studies. But his father's body remains somewhere in Ethiopia, in an unmarked grave.
1: There will not be any chance for me to return back, and I don't have anything there.
0: Despite this final attempt to dehumanize him, Professor Amari's legacy promises to endure for his family and for the country. He authored four widely used chemistry textbooks, and he often appeared on local TV, to encourage young students to pursue scientific study.
1: You can imagine how this tragedy brought a big impact upon the family and the country at large.
0: Last year, Abraham and others filed a class action lawsuit against Meta in Nairobi, Kenya. It alleges that Facebook's algorithms prioritize hateful and violent content and that Meta has failed to devote the necessary resources to moderating this content across the continent of Africa. They're asking Facebook to reinforce content moderation practices and staff and create a restitution fund of $2 billion for victims of violence.
1: Nothing will bring back our father. We just demand that Facebook to to be safe in Ethiopia. There should not be any other family to suffer the same as us.
0: In April a Kenyan court, granted the plaintiff's leave to serve Meta in California.
1: Now or never to act on uh, that platform to reconsider its uh, conduct, and especially in that of the content moderators. Even though it will not bring our happiness back, at least it will uh, try to heal some of the damage that we're experiencing.
0: And just a note that we reached out to Meta, Facebook's parent company, for comment. If we hear back, we'll put that comment on our website at thetakeaway.org.